Mining Your Business podcast is back in the new year. It's such a festive time. Jakob, Happy New Year. Thank you, Patrick. This is, of course, a show all about process mining, data science, and advanced business analytics. Marcelo Lavrosa is joining us on the podcast to tell us what a digital twin is and what it does in your process, amongst many other exciting topics. Marcelo Lavrosa is the CEO and co-founder of Appermore and a professor at the University of Melbourne. Let's get into it. Hello there, process mining enthusiasts. Are you mining your business also in 2023? Because we certainly are. And I hope that you are as well. Because, um, you know, we are showing no signs of stopping and we are very excited for the next year of our show. Um, actually, this uh, is a third attempt at uh, this recording uh, because work and illness uh, got in the way before. And I'm just so happy that we finally were able to bring our today's guest, Marcelo La Rosa, on the show. So, Marcelo, welcome. Thank you, Patrick. Jacob. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah. Marcelo, you are Italian living in Australia. Are you right now actually in Italy or are, are you in Australia? Uh, I'm actually in Sicily, yes. Ah, very, very mm -hmm. nice. Um, what brought you to Australia? Oh, look, it's a long story. Um, <laughs> when I completed my master's thesis uh, back at the university in Turin, I worked on process automation. Back then, we were working on a language called Beepel. It was a standard. And uh, I came up with the idea of working with my supervisor on, on a paper to present that work from the thesis. So we went to Nancy in France to attend, uh, I believe, the third edition of the International Conference on Business Process Management. And there I met who would become my PhD supervisor. A guy you, uh, you might have heard of, Marlon Dumas. Ah. And uh, Marlon was actually working on exactly the very same topic. So uh, we, we decided then, uh, you know, to come up with a PhD proposal. He pulled out, out of the blue, a scholarship. I applied, I got the scholarship. And the month after, I was in Brisbane working with him on my PhD. Um, so yeah, that's what brought me in Australia. Then when I <laughs> funnily enough, uh, during my PhD, Marlon left Australia to move, uh, <laughs> uh, to Estonia, but uh, he kept supervising me from the distance. Then I completed my PhD and then, you know, we kept working together since then. And that ultimately led to a promore. Mm -hmm. Um, Marcel, so you've been living in Australia basically ever since, if I'm, if I'm correct. And you, what I found super interesting that you have this, um, you have this, uh, background in academia, but now you are transitioning into an actual business world. And, um, do you actually, as of today, identify yourself more of a, as, as, as a CEO of a business company or as a professor at the university? Uh, so it depends on who's gonna listen to the podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> Look, I, I must admit the transition hasn't been simple. Uh, when I decided together with Marlon and other folks uh, to spin out a promore from the University of Melbourne, because in the meantime, I moved from Brisbane down to Melbourne. Uh, it, it, it wasn't easy because uh, both Marlon and I had a lot of academic um, roles. For example, back then mm -hmm. I was deputy head of school. I was leader of the information systems group. I was driving the professional education arm 
on BPM. And I had a number of research projects I was the lead CI for. Uh, so this transition has been incremental. At this stage now, I'm part-time with the University of Melbourne, and I've relinquished all these leadership roles. So mm-hmm. put it this way, I'm just a simple professor of process mining, <laughs> group, which, which I love, by the way. I definitely love uh, continuing teaching and research. But now uh, most of my time every day is spent working on the company. We are now in a very critical phase of a promore. It's not anymore a, a, a startup. We are over 50 people, you know, mm-hmm. more than 70 if you include contractors. So that requires my full attention. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we will get to Uppermore in one second, uh, but uh, first I want to just say that there is nothing as a simple professor of process mining because uh, this is still, um, well, I didn't even know that there were even universities or tracks that were teaching it. And uh, I just would like to stay a little bit longer on this piece of universities. Absolutely. And uh, could you tell to our listeners how does uh, um, a track at a university that focuses on both process mining, but let's say probably more on the high level on business process management look like? So first of all, I must admit that I've been very lucky because uh, the university gave me a lot of space to focus on process mining, even more specifically than BPM. My position at the university in, in Brisbane was more broadly on BPM. But uh, Melbourne Uni wanted to develop specific capabilities on process mining. So uh, how does it look like a day in the life of a professor in in BPM or process mining? So there are typically three components. There Mm -hmm. is teaching. So for example, uh, uh, I've been teaching a a subject on business process management, you know, based on our book, The Fundamentals of BPM, little promotion there. So (laughs) we just walk through the various stages of the BPM life cycle from identification through to process monitoring. Then we have also uh, a subject on process analytics, which is very focused on uh, on process mining Mm -hmm. and uh, the link between mining and simulation, which we are going to talk about uh, later. And uh, so that's basically teaching. Um, then there is research, right? So you supervise PhD students, you come up with fancy ideas, uh, uh, and, and then uh, you, you, you basically seek scholarships to support the studies of the students. For example, at the moment, I have a student uh, with whom we are working on using causal machine learning for prescriptive monitoring, right? Another one where we are exploring more from an organizational perspective. Mm-hmm the uptake and challenges in using uh, process mining for process compliance checking Mm -hmm. in a financial services sector. So you've got the PhD supervision, and uh, that is also related to seeking funds, right? So applying for for grants. For example, uh, we recently got a a large-scale industry innovation hub and one component of that project, which is uh, in the area of bioengineering processes, is to use process mining on this totally new greenfield uh, space. So where process mining has never been applied, like trying to, to mine a bioengineering process and identify opportunities for oh, improvement, wow. like how wow. you can improve yield 
and quality of the result. Like, for example, when synthesizing a vaccine. Very, very exciting. Very, very exciting. And then there is engagement. Engagement means uh, talking to industry. For example, before I mentioned this initiative uh, uh, related to professional training. So professional training, consultancy services, they all fall under the realm of industry engagement. These are the three key areas for an academic. And in Australia, all three have an equal importance. And that's very interesting for an academic like me, who's very focused on application-oriented research, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the ability to leverage industry contacts to study real-life problems and then come up with ideas to solve these problems. Now, can I ask, as a student at the University of Melbourne, if I wanted to learn about process mining, um, would this be more focused on the business process management part, so all the business processes and what you can do with process mining, or will I be learning about the causal machine learning models for prescriptive process mining, right? Those are fairly two different ends of the process mining spectrum. So um, what does that look like? You can do both. So, for example, we have a Master's of Information Systems where we have a pathway in business process management. You'll start by learning the fundamentals of BPM. There is also another subject, business analysis, digital Mm -hmm. business analysis, where you learn how to put BPM in context, right? Because BPM is just one piece of the puzzle for the overall organizational improvement. It's not the only methodology, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can delve more into the technicalities of the various approaches and uh, techniques that are available in the various stages of the BPM life cycle. And one of the subjects is the one I was mentioning before, which is the process analytics one. It's an elective subject. So uh, the other one, the BPM, is, uh, is a compulsory subject in the lower core of the Master of Information System. So every single right. student out of the 300 students we get a per semester intake will uh, go through that subject. But the process analytics one is optional and only those uh, who want to do it then have a chance to do that. And then you can do a project like an industry-based project uh, on BPM or even more specifically on process mining. Mm -hmm. Did you say you had 300 students uh, doing this? Yeah, a semester, 350 sometimes, yes. Oh, wow. How long have you been um, offering these courses? Um, since I arrived in Melbourne, so 2018. Oh, wow, that's incredible. Yes. And before that, we were offering these subjects at QT, and my colleagues, they're still offering uh, (laughs) this type of subjects. So here you go. If you want to go study process mining, well, Melbourne is one of the places that you can probably do that, apart from a few European schools. And uh, it's very exciting to hear that uh, the business process management and process mining uh, itself, they have their own track that you can study now. Um, now, moving on a little, you said something um, interesting and in that uh, that you really enjoyed this uh, application part of, of research where you are applying the research and ideas and, um, you know, the latest developments on actual or solving actual problems. And I guess that was also a centerpiece of uh, founding uh, your company, Apromore. Is that correct? Correct. Yes, it all started from our own research. Apromore um, was a research project that we started uh, about a decade ago, back in 2009. It's actually now more than 10 years. And uh, we we attracted some funds, some industry-sponsored funds, and we started working on what was 
to be an advanced process model repository. Apromore mm-hmm. is an acronym that stands for advanced process model repository. Ah. And, then, yeah, and you know who came up with this weird name? Marlon, probably. No, <laughs> no this was a project uh, 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 funded by the Dutch government. So the chief investigator was Will van der Alst. <laughs> oh, <of course. laughs> who else? <laughs> yes, who else indeed. He invited me to spend some time in Eindhoven. Back then he was working there um, as a postdoc. And so kind of I was working, uh, you know, between the two countries because I still had my position in Australia. Um, I was a senior lecturer in Australia. Mm-hmm. But then I also started this sort of uh, postdoc from the distance. Uh, now it would be totally normal, but back in yeah. 2009 was kind of an exception in Eindhoven. And we started working on this idea and I was super excited to come up with a product. I mean, having a computer engineering background, I love building stuff, right? <laughs> so the idea was super fancy, but I wanted to build the product. And uh, um, mindful of the success of Prom, which back then was, you know, the very first process mining tool, I wanted to follow suit and do something very similar with Apromore. And, and then when I went back to Australia, to Brisbane, I started looking for funds. And we got this, uh, this uh, linkage project, which is a project that is co-sponsored by the Australian government mm-hmm. and uh, um, industry. Back then, it was a large insurance institute, and we started building this product. Now, over time, about 2012, 2013, our research focus pivoted from process modeling, more specifically, to process mining. Mm-hmm. And then the tool follows suit. So this prototype that we were building started hosting capabilities more specific to process mining, besides the existing capabilities around modeling. And then in 2019, after a strong encouragement from the University of Melbourne, so back then I had moved to Melbourne and uh, uh, relocated the whole Apromore initiative with my research group, you know, we were 13 folks, I believe. We moved from Brisbane to Melbourne and we brought Apromore along. And then we started thinking about commercializing the software because there was strong interest from industry. We were using Apromore to deliver consultancy projects in process mm-hmm. planning. And uh, organizations were using the software, were looking at us using the software and say, hey, can we also use it? ourselves it looks pretty simple pretty intuitive and he said oh well, well you know uh, it's, it's 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 not commercially available but it's open source you can go download it of course you know that it doesn't work like that yeah. right? so we had a few discussions with my head of school my dean and they said why don't you commercialize it you know we will have we will provide strong support in terms of seed funding i mean concretely and the university really um gave us a strong push to start commercializing the, so- the software. So fast forward three and a half years from there, we've, we've done the seed funding and uh, we've done a Series A and more recently a Series B round, which we closed in November last yeah. year. Yeah. Mm. I saw this big splash actually around the, the Series B uh, where you joined forces with Salesforce and GB Tech, um, raised actually over uh, a little over 10 million US dollars. So First of all, congratulations as a yeah. CEO of a company that must be uh, quite an achievement and a moment of pride because that's, uh, you know, it not only allows you to further develop the product, but also um, 
you know, makes, uh, makes you sure, um, um, supports you in this idea that what you're doing is probably really worth it and uh, really useful. So once again, congratulations. What does it mean for the company going forward? Uh, look, we are very proud of, of this result. GB Tech came in already in the Series A, but the Series B welcomed uh, Salesforce as a key investor. Uh, it's definitely an acknowledgement that we are on the right track, by all means, especially because this is coming from a software giant. Yeah. And it's an organization whose customers have been demanding about process mining. You know, they might not call it process mining. They might call it improving service efficiency, improving service quality, right? Improving customer experience, mm -hmm. monitoring risk and compliance, accelerating digital transformation. But at the end of the day, we know that we can answer these questions through data. And data is very rich in Salesforce. So that provides an enormous opportunity for us to support our joint customers by using process mining on top of Salesforce. In addition, there is the link with MuleSoft. In fact, it all started through a tech partnership with MuleSoft. We've been developing a connector. You know, MuleSoft is an integration middleware, or mm -hmm. it started as an integration middleware. Now their offer is uh, more broad. But uh, um, we can connect to systems within an organization by exploding, by leveraging this uh, integration middleware infrastructure that the customer already has through mm -hmm. the Apomore connector for MuleSoft. And then we started exploring the link with RPA because MuleSoft now also offers an RPA capability. So we can push, we can talk about this a, a bit more in depth later, but we can identify automation opportunities and push them to their RPA manager. So you can mm -hmm. record these opportunities directly uh, there and start assessing which ones you want to implement with bots first. So it's a whole ecosystem of integration. It's not mm -hmm. just uh, process mining on top of Salesforce, which per se would be huge. Huge yeah. opportunity, but uh, it goes beyond that. It goes into integration. It goes into RPA. There are a number of opportunities to work together that we started exploring. And what we notice is that customers are responding very well to those signals. They love this idea. We call it round trip process mining. <laughs> round trip right? process mining. Collect data, analyze, and push out actions such as opportunities for automation that then mm. are enacted by means of RPA bots. Wow. That's an idea for, yeah. for a name of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, so looking back at the journey of Apremore ever since its inception to what you wanted to build and from that all the way to now raising over 10 million US dollars with some major players and building your own ecosystem, what recommendation would you give to other people in similar shoes to what you were back then to how you get to where you are now? Um, the journey can be very bumpy. And uh, I think we have been experiencing <laughs> the whole lot uh, because we built the company through COVID. So as soon as we started, we had to switch to remote working. Um, when COVID hit, uh, we were only five. 
And uh, we were in the middle of raising our Series A. You can imagine the impact COVID had on closing our Series A. Then uh, we had the economic crisis we are now experiencing, which of course uh, isn't easy on anyone. So we can say that uh, throughout this journey, we have been collecting a lot of experience. I think that perhaps uh, what uh, made the difference for us is to never lose trust Mm -hmm. on ourselves and on our ideas. We know we have a strong product. We know we have a strong strategy. Mm -hmm. We insist until we get there. And this is pretty much my key recommendation. Then, you know, I can tell you do this, but not that. But in your situation, it may actually work the other way around. I mean, I don't have any statistical significance (laughs) out of my experience. You know, it's only my experience. But I can tell you that perhaps what really made the difference was to persist, being resilient and persist against really all odds. Mm -hmm. So when you say that, you know, we never lose trust, um, who is we? In, in, in we is, is, is Marlon, my co-founder Simon, uh, myself, the, the whole executive team, Mara Promore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a strong corporate culture. People love working for a Promore. People took pay cuts to come and work for us. Being a small company, of course, uh, we are somehow limited in what we can offer, but people believe in the story. Nice. See that this is fresh, this is new, it's different from, let me call it, mainstream process mining. It's very <laughs> different. And, uh, and especially what really excites us is how customers respond to those signals. Mm-hmm. Now, um, uh, Marcelo, speaking of mainstream process mining, uh, how do you set yourself apart from that, from this uh, consensus of uh, how big giants on the market are doing process mining and what is your, let's say, main um, unique selling proposition compared to the others? So first of all, my deepest respect for the giants. They, They came first, they did a lot of things right, and they got where they are. So my deepest respect for where they are. I admire them, I admire their story, and I certainly have to learn from mm-hmm. that story. Um, but, but the market is getting saturated, right? <laughs> and, yeah, we know, and, we know. <laughs> and coming from an academic background, somehow I have uh, a very good understanding of where we can get with process mining, you know, which comes back to the initial point of where Apromore came from. It came from our own research. It came from over 10 years of research and innovation and leading universities, hmm? Melbourne, Brisbane, Tartu, mm-hmm. Eindhoven. Look, uh, I'm not cheating. I'm not kidding when I say that we probably only achieve 20 to 30% of the full potential of process mining. What is coming mm-hmm. out of research is like 10 years ahead of what we are trialing in industry. And that is one key difference in our product strategy. We are spearheading innovation in process mining. So the product is the trade-off between our desire to advance the state of the art in process mining directly informed from our research and immediate customer demand. You know, I need this feature, I need that feature. 
to move on with the project, right? So that is a distinguishing factor in a promoter. We might not implement all, uh, we might not support uh, uh, all 250 features that you might see in the market. We might mm-hmm. support 100, 150, but in our advice, these are the critical ones you need to deliver value. And if we decide to implement a feature, we do it to its fullest extent. We mentioned simulation before. We're mm-hmm. going to hopefully touch back on yes. this. Yes. That is an example of where we go really in depth. Mm-hmm. Another one is automated discovery. So the key point that, that I want to make is state-of-the-art capabilities, highly sophisticated, but at the same time, very simple to use. Mm-hmm. So we are spending quite a lot of time to try and break down a capability that on face value might really be complex, might look complex like simulation or like mm-hmm. predictive monitoring. What would be the easiest way to realize predictive monitoring capabilities uh, in your software through a machine learning environment mm-hmm. where your data science can write a uh, predictive, can build predictive models, e.g. in Python or in a Python dialect, and then deploy them. Well, that's not the way we're following. The target audience for process mining is not technical dudes. It's business analysts. Yeah. It's process managers. It's a claims manager. It's a loan operator. It's an IT service desk clerk. So this is citizen process mining. Now, breaking down a complex capability like predictive monitoring or simulation in a way that is easily consumable by a non-technical audience is a key challenge we have been dealing with at Apromore. So the second distinguishing factor of our product, besides having state-of-the-art sophisticated features, is Mm -hmm. the way we expose these features in a simple, intuitive way, Mm -hmm. through a slick, easy-to-use interface. I'm not kidding when I say that you can master 80% of our product on a 15-hour training course. 15, one five, one training course, not <laughs> 20. Oh, right? wow. Now, what does that mean concretely for a customer? That the time to value is significantly shorted. We are not talking about months, if not years. We are talking about weeks. We have customers that have set up an enterprise-wide initiative in process mining with a center of excellence in four to six weeks. That means you can start delivering value already in the first two, three months. Pay back to the business and leverage that to get consensus so you can scale your initiative, right? Mm -hmm. So that's another important point. And the third one that I wanted to make is the focus. Coming back to mainstream process mining, you know, process mining has been incredibly successful in P2P and O2C, you know, procure to pay, order to cash, uh, accounts payable, accounts receivable, that space, which is the SAP space, right? Yeah. Is the core manufacturing space. Uh, We started looking elsewhere. You know, that's a quite crowded uh, space. Uh, But at the same time, We believe that, again, coming back to trying to exploit the full potential of process mining, 
That process mining can deliver more value when you hit an organization right at its core. And P2P is not a core process. P2P is a support process. We need P2P for the business to run, but we don't make money out of P2P. We don't please our customers out of P2P. So I'm talking about service-intensive organizations and high-touch customer-facing processes. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about claims handling in an insurance institute. I'm talking about loan application in a bank. I'm talking about call center or customer onboarding in an organization. I'm talking about meter to cash in a utility company. So these are the processes we have been specializing on. Mm -hmm. So while our product, uh, like process mining, is industry agnostic, and we had uh, um, the... um, we had the luxury of uh, uh, of working with a number of customers from different organizations mm-hmm. engineering manufacturing logistics telcos financial services tertiary education um government and so on we have built capabilities in very specific verticals so the whole bfsi banking financial services and insurance of which I mentioned a couple of examples, that's a vertical we have been developing deep expertise in. Mm -hmm. Like you talk about uh, loan application, we know exactly where to look into when it comes to loan application. I know what problems customers can face in this application to approval. Now, um, could you get specific about especially this, uh, this these banking process mining use cases? Because uh, I don't think we've ever mentioned those. And I'll be honest, I haven't worked on a banking use case yet. Um, how do you utilize process mining in such a process? And what does this process really look like? What can I um, imagine when you say, okay, let's take a look at the banking process or claims process? So first of all, let me say that uh, this comes with a risk. Because something mm-hmm. is that you work on procure to pay. And if things go wrong, you know, okay, fine. You know, the business is not going to crack. Something yeah. else is that you work with a bank on their loan origination process. That's how they make money. That's how they serve customers. That's hitting straight into their top line, straight. Talk to an insurance company, claims handling, cost center, hitting straight on their bottom line. High sense of urgency, top priority for the bank or the insurance company for these two processes to work spot on. Mm -hmm. Now, let me take an example, Uh, loan application. So loan application and specifically one where we've been working a lot is mortgage lending. So home loan application, right? So this is part of consumer finance. And uh, we look at the whole value chain. As you know, process mining provides the best benefits if you're able to discover and analyze the end-to-end process. So it starts with origination of the loan, you know, through brokers going out and seeking new loan applications, mm-hmm. like new customers. Then it goes into lodgement, triage and verification, assessment, negotiation, and settlement. Mm-hmm. You know, these are typically the key stages of this application to approval process. Now, each stage, typically, different area 
of focus for the organization, mm-hmm. meaning different manager, meaning different KPIs. Take, for example, the whole lodgement and triage. There is a key KPI there, which is called time to write. Time to write? Is <laughs> Never the, heard of it. Um, yeah. uh, well, can, can you tell us what lodge and, and triage help. even means in the first place? Because this is new to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So triage means once you get uh, an application, like a loan application, you need to channel it through the right verification. Right. Mm. You know, uh, uh, and triage may be based on the amount of the loan application, on the type of property, on the type of loan, uh, on the demographics of the customer. Uh, but also when you triage, you do an initial verification to make sure mm, all the key elements are in place. For example, is there a declaration? And is that declaration signed? Uh, are all the details of the property that we want to buy, that you know the customer wants to buy there, uh, and all of that? Because mm-hmm. otherwise mm-hmm. you need to push it back. Got it. So time to write or time to first uh, <laughs> is, uh, is a KPI that basically measures, and it is in fact a key SLA for, for, for a, a loan application process in banks, is the time that it takes from the lodgement of the loan application to the uh, dispatchment of the first loan offer. You know, you might provide multiple loan offers, you know, because right. then you enter into some sort of back and forth with the customer. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, what does it take? How long does it take to respond with the first offer? That's critical. And why is it critical? Because that's the first place in this process where customers may drop off. Mm-hmm. You don't because provide they're... me an offer within 10 business days. I'll be shopping around with your mm. competitors. Right. So time to write is essential, is an essential KPI in a loan application process. Now in a promoter, we can measure SLA adherence at different levels. At the level of individual activity, how long mm-hmm. does it take to assess a loan application? At the level of the end-to-end process, how long does it take until you settle the loan from the time the application was lodged, but also between milestones, which is the case for time to write, between the lodgement and the first instance of this activity provide offer, mm-hmm. dispatch offer. Now, you don't want to do that by writing a script. <laughs> so I'm going back to this point of being simple, totally no code. No code means there is really no way you can try and sneak code into a promoter. <laughs> But, no but code, um, no code, I'll, I'll stop you here. Like there has to be something in the bag that has been either coded or programmed. And if you are ingesting the data that you might not be familiar with, you still have to process them and create something on top of it to to to, to run this. No, or this is how I imagine or always these type of things. So 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 first of all, to answer the first parts of your questions, there are hundreds of queries that we run in yeah. the background. Yeah. The 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 challenge is how you can expose these queries uh, through icons, buttons, and simple user flows. And that's right. you know, that's where we believe the tool is strong. The mm-hmm. second is the part about data preparation and transformation. This is also no code. It's also through a graphical interface. You can uh, import in a promore. Uh, two or more event logs, for example, in CSV or Parquet formats, in mm-hmm. fact, they don't need to be event logs. They just need to be data, data uh, files, right? 
not yet with the key ingredients of, of an event log, right? Like, like you know, activity, timestamps, yeah. case identifier. Then you can join them or do a vertical union. Again, mm-hmm. you do this with drag and drop. Then you move to the transformation phase where you can start applying operations, like you can concatenate two attributes. I don't know, date and time to come up with time steps, right? right? Mm. Um, Or you may, for example, one thing that we do in loan application is to calculate the loan-to-value ratio, which is the ratio between the amount of the loan and the amount or the value of the property you want to buy, right? And Mm -hmm. then we calculate the mortgage lender insurance. So basically, in Australia, for example, you need to pay an insurance if the loan-to-value ratio is uh, uh, more than, than 80%. So basically, you need to provide a deposit that is at least 20% yeah. of the total value. Otherwise, you're going to pay this mortgage lender insurance. Now, these are two attributes that we can add in this uh, data transformation phase. And you can define the rules in a totally no-code style. You have the list of operators, you have a building block for the rule, and then you just drag and drop, select, and build the rule. Now, mm-hmm. am I going to fulfill 100% of my transformation needs? No. You know, <laughs> no, of <laughs> no. course, because, I mean, it's not as expressive as just writing code. That's, yeah. that's clear. But the question, again, is who is your target audience? Because if I want to do an incredibly complex transformation, and by the way, these days we can concatenate these operators, we can concatenate TTL pipelines, we can actually build some quite complex stuff still in a no-code environment, but there will always be that operation that is not yet supported. Well, in that case, this should be better off done by your data engineers. And if you're talking to a company, they probably already have a data engineering practice. They have pipelines in place. So that's the infrastructure they're going to use. Take, for example, MuleSoft, right? We go to a company already as MuleSoft as integration middleware. They're going to use that. But now talk to the analyst. Mm -hmm. Talk to the analyst who needs to put together four or five files to start analyzing their loan application process. You know, they grab data from a workflow management system, from a couple of custom in-house systems, et cetera, they can do that in a promoter in a totally no-code way. They can mm-hmm. even automate this pipeline and do delta ingestions periodically. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so there has been a delta, historically, a delta quite large between, you know, doing data transformation through scripting and code and doing that uh, in a no-code UI-based approach. Now, we have been we have been shortening this delta over time, right? I'm not saying that this delta will disappear. That's, that's a dream. There will always be a delta, but there's, there's already quite a lot of operations you can do in a no-code environment. Now, um, when I was in uh, ICPM conference in Bolzano a couple of months back, uh, where you also actually participated, um, I was uh, doing or uh, supporting one of Marlon Dumas' students in uh, doing, a, let's say, a research paper or something on how should the user interface um, for a prescriptive process mining look like. And there was exactly this use case for for the loans where... Um, the end user, the business user who approves the loans gets this information that is somehow processed in your tool. Um, and he just gets this 
very basic recommendation on what the he or she should do based on these data ingestion. Uh, ingestion. Um, is this a part of your product? Like, um, are you imagining it in a way that uh, at the end of the day, you just have this uh, platform where the, the clerk or the, the, the risk manager or whoever approves these loans just sees the recommendation, sees the probable uh, path of this specific loan and how it would evolve over time. And he or she just like approves or, or, you know, rejects and then the process goes on. Yes. So, so that's part of our product strategy. So in the, in the last couple of years, we've addressed uh, the foundations of process mining, what we call descriptive process mining, you know, automated discovery, mm-hmm. performance mm-hmm. analysis, conformance checking, variant analysis. Then we moved to one layer above what we call predictive process monitoring. Mm-hmm. Marlon and I actually started this stream of, re- of research within process mining about seven, eight years ago. We had two PhD students working on predictive process monitoring. Both of them, by the way, got an award. So that, uh, that type of work spiked a lot of interest in the community. And then we started looking at what's going to come next. You know, once we equip users with predictive analytics, what can we do with those analytics? And of course, the natural answer is uh, recommendations. Mm-hmm. Recommendations uh, that are uh, provided through uh, prescriptive analytics. And, and we take actually two sides to this approach. There is, uh, uh, let's say, operational support side, which is probably the, the use case we think of most commonly. You know, I'm running my loan applications, I'm assessing my claims. Um, How can I make sure that I minimize the SLA violations? For right. example, I have a 30-day SLA violation for handling a motor vehicle claim. You mm-hmm. know, what actions can I do to make sure that I reduce the overall number of SLA violations at 30 days? You know, one action could be to relocate some FTEs, some claims handlers from claims that are pretty safe not uh, any chance to violate the SLAs anytime soon to those claims that have a high likelihood of violating this 30-day SLA, right? So that's a concrete example of how this could be applied in practice. Mm-hmm. Now, what we have been... And, and then there is another area which is more tactical. It's not operational support. It's not working on top of open cases, like cases that are unfolding, like... right claims I'm working on, is actually looking at historical data to identify interventions that that can be performed in the mid to long term, not just in real time, or quasi real time. And we call that automated process improvement in in a promoter. And that is also related to simulation. So basically the ability Mm -hmm. to test different interventions and then provide recommendations on the basis of a set of constraints for this process Mm -hmm. and your KPI targets. Like, mm. I want to reduce cycle time by 20%. And the idea is for a promoter to identify the top two, three interventions you can implement under your set of constraints to be able to achieve that target. And that may mean, for example, allocating a couple of bots for this activity and assisting a human on that activity with other bots and re-sequentializing some activities. So what I'm trying to, to say is that uh, this area of 
prescriptive mm-hmm. analytics for process mining or recommender systems goes beyond operational support. It also works on a tactical context, right? Mm-hmm. So um, how does the prescriptive process mining um, work with the low-code, you know, user being as user-friendly or the interface being as user-friendly as possible? I mean, me being a user of the tool, if I say you should, and the tool tells me you should probably do X instead of Y, my first question is, well, why? Why does the tool tell me to do this? And do you find that there's some sort of gap between the answering that that question to wh- as to why you should do something without going into, hey, it's some black box voodoo magic type of machine learning thing <laughs> that we have in the background somewhere? So I think you, you really touched upon the most important challenge in the key challenge in prescriptive analytics, which is uh, related to the topic of trustworthy AI. Can I Mm -hmm. trust this recommendation? If so, on the basis of what? Now, so far, the techniques for prescriptive monitoring that you've seen around are based on the predictive analytics. So they're based on correlation. They're based on statistics. But there is no causal inference to tell you that if you do this, this is going to be the outcome. This is going to be the result that you expect. And this is precisely what we are working on with this PhD student I was mentioning before. The use of causal machine learning for prescriptive analytics, prescriptive process analytics. So this is really a paradigm shift in the whole area of Mm -hmm. prescriptive analytics because uh, you identify those treatments, we call them treatments, that have a causal effect Mm -hmm. on a given part of the process. Part of the process could be a a group of cases. So under certain conditions, hmm, if you apply this treatment, e.g. you make one more loan offer, on a price range, with with this price range, then you're going to increase the likelihood of leading to an acceptance of the offer Mm -hmm. by 20%. This increase is called uplift and is mathematically measured. Mm -hmm. So we can basically show you an uplift tree that really provides all the dependencies as to, you know, what is the root cause to explain? What is the key reason to explain why this treatment has this effect, right? And by doing so, we basically basically want to provide uh, an explanation as as to where these recommendations are coming from so that the user, the end user, can build trust in these recommendations. Uh, Then there is another part of your question very quickly, which is about how we expose these results, right? Hmm? And this is more about, uh, uh, you know, going back to who is the target audience and what type of analytics and how they can consume. You know, you can consume these recommendations uh, through alerts. You know, we can send a Slack message. We can send an email and then they press on a link and they see the dashboard and then the uplift uh, Tree, right? So um, it doesn't have to be complex. You do not need to expose mm-hmm. any code for right. them to consume the results. So what I'm hearing is that uh, we want to move 
away from this uh, predictive models where we just take a bunch of data and we look at correlations. Because if we had a data based on, you know, let's say purchasing process or sales process in a COVID time, it would be quite a lot of skewed towards just nonsense values and nonsense predictions. And what you want to do is take out this root cause, uh, root cause or these root causes that are um, directly affecting your process in a certain way and ultimately make a simulation on top of that. And uh, now we can finally get into this simulation. And uh, does this mean that if you are, let's say, successful in identifying these, these pain points and um, what you could do then is basically tell the user that if they do a certain action in the process, this is the likely or with this likelihood, this is how your process will um, will look like in the future. Correct. Correct. Yes. And uh, simulation is part of the predictive process optimization layer, the second layer that I mentioned before, you know, the one that builds on top of the foundations. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, something that our customers are using systematically now in projects. It's it's a tactical technique, so it allows you to articulate interventions and test their impact uh, on on the mid to long term. So not not something that you're gonna do to fix uh, the claims you're currently working on, but right. it's something that is gonna help you for any new claim that is gonna be lodged from now on once you implement that change. Um, for us, simulation is the natural next step to get process mining from analysis to action. Mm-hmm. And it is, in fact, the missing bit between analysis and an actual intervention. So automation is basically, you know, allowing you to intervene on a process and, you know, get value straight away. But mm-hmm. the key problem is where to automate and how. And this is often the key cause for these automation projects like RPA projects to fail. Where uh, simulation fills that gap. You do your discovery and analysis with process mining. You come up with insights Mm -hmm. into your process structure, performance, and compliance. Now, these insights foster the ideation of interventions. Oh, I find a bottleneck. The claim officer is a capacity bottleneck here. I don't have sufficient FTEs, and I can see that my claims queue up at the doorstep of Uh assess claim because the claim officer is just overutilized. Right. I move to simulation, and I can test the removal of that bottleneck in different ways. So these are the possible interventions. One Mm -hmm. could be to simply allocate more FTEs. Mm -hmm. That's too easy, but we all know that that comes at cost. You know, resources can be expensive. So an alternative could be to allocate a bot. So you can test that hypothesis with simulation. The tool will simulate this scenario and calculate for you the impact of that intervention on time, on cost, and on resource utilization. But the problem of simulation and why it hasn't picked up, basically, in the last couple of decades, is how to come up with a simulation model in the first place. Mm -hmm. I mean, no one can question the utility of simulation 
But when you talk to practitioners, they say, oh, that's great, but you know, how on earth am I going to come up with the simulation parameters? And even before the simulation parameters, the very starting point is the model, right? <laughs> the model of the process that I want to simulate. So that model in Apromore, we can automatically extract in BPMN, it's a rich BPMN model, automatically from the lock. So you are starting with the actual process as it has been executed. Hmm? On top of that, Apromore automatically discovers all the simulation parameters that are needed to simulate that very BPMN model, that Aziz model. Simulation parameters like arrival rate, Statistics around the distribution mm -hmm. of activity mm -hmm. durations, branching probabilities, branching conditions, waiting times, resource allocation, FTs, all of that is automatically mined. And this BPMN model plus the simulation parameters is what everyone calls, but hardly achieve, the digital twin of your process. So what is a digital twin of a process? It's nothing else than a BPMN model with the simulation parameters. The challenge is how to get it automatically because that's a mundane task. Yeah. I'm consuming error-prone. Where on earth am I going to fetch 350 <laughs> simulation parameters? I mean, I'm talking about a real-life process. Loan origination, 150 plus activities. How am I going to fetch the statistics about the duration of 150 activities, right? Now you can do that. With, with a promoter, we can automatically discover this digital twin of a process. So we put the analyst in a position to simulate the assist and use that as a baseline to test the impact of any interventions they do. So I have my baseline, I've simulated, I've got my statistics, and they are in line with those of the assist process that I mined, right? So that's a way to validate the goodness of your. Um, simulation model. Now you use that as a starting point to start modifying this simulation model. And there are two ways in which you can modify. One way is to act on the simulation parameters. For example, what if we launch a new marketing campaign to promote a new loan product and we expect that to lead to a 20% increase in the arrival rate? So I'm going to change the arrival rate to put it 20% higher. How is that contextual change in my process going to impact on my SLA? Am I still going to be able to meet my 10 days time to write or mm -hmm. not? Right? So you can test that hypothesis. The second is a, a, an active intervention where you change the process, you resequentialize activities, you parallelize, you remove steps, mm -hmm. or you replace, going back to the initial point, a human being with a bot or you assist that human being with a bot. So this is another intervention you can test. So the key point that I want to make is before jumping into automation, you can now test your hypothesis with simulation, assess mathematically what is the impact on cost, time, and resource utilization, and come up with a recipe that tells you if you do this, this is the impact you expect to achieve. Now, as you can see, that is going to give you a very rich context, a very rich set of information upon which you can base your and justify your decision. I'm going to do this first, because I know that if I fix this bottleneck with five bots, this is going to be an impact rather than that or that. 
other alternatives. That's, in essence, simulation in a <laughs> Well, if well. I learned one thing <laughs> from this episode is that I might apply for the course in a uh, University of Melbourne uh, to listen a little more into this because this is exciting stuff. And I wish in a podcast we could go more into the depth, but uh, it is what it is. The time is slowly, slowly coming up. But I have one final question for you, uh, Marcelo, and that is at the beginning of the episode, you you mentioned that uh, process mining as a market, as a, you know, um, us practitioners are utilizing, let's say, 20 to 30% of the capability that process mining offers. One of the things that might come in the near future, and it's already here, is the simulation, digital twin problematics that you were just talking about. Um, could you maybe give us a glimpse of something else that we could uh, really get excited about and that will probably come in next five to 10 years? Um, one thing that we started playing with at Apromore is the use of conversational bots. Ah, and so basically, yeah, all right, go, go on, go on. You no, can no, explain it better. <laughs> at, at IC, like at ICPM, we even provided a demo on that. So, and, and some of these conversational bot capabilities are already available in a promore. Like you can ask Siri about the cases of, of your claims that are non-compliant and violate a 4i principle. And Siri replies, it gives you the list of cases and asks you if you want that to be sent over email. Now we want to interact with Apromore in a totally touchless way, in a conversational way. But that goes beyond asking questions yeah. whose answer you can derive from, from you know, the content on the screen. We want the tool to reason along with us. So, hey Siri, um, what are the top three interventions I can make on my mm -hmm. loan origination process in order to make sure that I keep the time to write at most 10 working days. Wow. So that's where we want to go. Uh, it might take a while, <laughs> but uh, we are working on the research side of it at the university. Right. Well, that is uh, very exciting. And now um, the final question, where could uh, people first of all find you? But maybe there are some listeners who whose uh, heart starts pounding just by listening to, to uh, you know, your automations and simulation capabilities and would, let's say, like to support you on your, on your journey during research or in Upramore, where can people go and contact you and find you? So the best way is to just approach me on LinkedIn. You can just search for my name on LinkedIn and start chatting with me. And uh, yes, we are looking for talents and people who are excited to work with us both on research as well as on the software level, as a product manager, as a software engineer, uh, as a sales or marketing person. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are growing. As I was saying, in Apromore, we are in the scale-up phase. Uh, we are expanding globally, and we're always uh, in search for mm -hmm. great talents. I'll make a side note here as well. And uh, if you got excited about pre prescriptive and predictive process mining, definitely go on and listen to our previous episode with a colleague of, of Marcelo with Marlon Dumas. I think really, really good stuff there as well. And uh, Marcelo, um, what, else, what else can I say? Just uh, thank you very much for coming to our show. For me, it was a real pleasure. Uh, yeah. uh, you, dear listeners, cannot see it, but I saw the spark in Marcelo's eyes when he started going on simulation. Yeah. Uh, which makes me wonder, maybe we should do this also on video next time. But uh, uh, for sure. <laughs> Marcelo, thank you very much. Thank you for coming here. And uh, I wish you and all your team in Upramore and also in your research uh, all the best, because uh, I hope that at some point we can 
get a glimpse of the technology and maybe implement it ourselves as well. Pleasure. Thanks a lot for the invitation and thanks everyone for listening to this podcast. All right. Great. So if you if you enjoyed the episode, just uh, text us on LinkedIn. We are very active there as well. Uh, you can also reach out to me and Patrick personally. Uh, we also have an email, uh, miningyourbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. Always open to ideas, feedback and recommendations. Um, and uh, yeah, if you like us, leave us a review, leave us some good, good, good ratings. And uh, we will be looking forward to hear from you and to talk to you in the next episode of Mining Your Business Podcast. Thank you very much and bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.